International Archives. 19th. 19th of the 8th to 009. P-L-E-A-S-E, please accept. Volume. XV1. Um, for posterity. We are at the National Archive in Dublin, where Stuart Rosenblatt is presenting Volume 16 of the Rosenblatt series, his record of Jews in Ireland, to the nation. What if that signature would be valuable in time? Yes? Stuart Rosenblatt, PC. Have to give the full title. FGSI. How's that? What's FG? Not for the Gale. No. No, No, I'm a fellow of the Genealogical Society of Ireland. Very good. For my indefatigable work, I can only pronounce the word, on Irish jury. Very good. They honoured me that way. Okay. Yes, okay. And well deserved. So, what is the Rosenblatt series? And who is Rosenblatt? Thank you once again. Volume 16. I look forward to, in 10 years' time, receiving volume 36 or something like that. No, I will improve number 15, which is heritage. That's the next one. We look forward to, in whatever number it is. At 16 volumes, the Rosenblatt series is a work in progress. Genealogy, it drives you what we call sugar. That means a bit mad. But at the end of the day, I found a niche in Irish Jewry genealogy, or in fact in genealogy in general, which no, nobody has done anywhere else in the world, and that is to take a whole country and assemble the information of, an, in this case, an Irish-Jewish minority. Well, it started off, it didn't start off doing a whole country, it started off doing my own family tree, which is the Jackson-Zacks uh, family that came originally from a little shtetl or a village called Akmian or Akmeni in Lithuania. A small village Akmien may be, but it has great significance to Jewish Ireland and therefore the Rosenblatt series. Because if you're Jewish and you're Irish, chances are your ancestors came from Akmien or thereabouts, or at least married someone from Akmien, like Stuart's Polish born father, Martin Sidney Rosenblatt, who came to Ireland in the 1940s. How did he settle in? Was he at home here? Uh, no. Uh, he was... I don't think anybody is. The, Dublin itself, and the general population, yes, but in the... The Irish jury is, is rather unique. They all come from a similar area. Acmean and, and the Envines up there in Lithuania. And unless you came over in that first or second wave of individuals, you're always like an outsider. When people came in in the 1940s, and so on, they were just outsiders coming in. And though he was accepted here, he always felt that it wasn't, wasn't him, wasn't his town. In contrast, Stuart's mother, Zena Jackson, was a Dubliner born and bred. And when Martin Rosenblatt married her, he married into the heart of Jewish Ireland. The large Jackson family were well in. They had roots in Acmeen. And those roots spread all over Jewish Ireland. Stuart had started with an interest in his mother's family tree, but it quickly snowballed, and he found there was nothing like six degrees of separation in Ireland, especially Jewish Ireland. When I was 
chasing backwards and forwards. I came across databases or information, and I said, if I'm wasting my time checking down these, looking for one individual, and nobody else knows this, the information is available in the various places they were hidden in, to save time, I codified them, and I ended up with 16 different databases. So if I was looking up your name, I have to look through the 16 to see what I had about you. And I was bemoaning my fate to a computer genius who came my way, one of many, but this particular one. He says, oh, I have a little time while I'm waiting for a job to come through, and I'll see what I can do for you. And he ended up coming back and said, look, all your information, there's a certain amount of it, similar to everybody. And he ended up with, in the end, 70, 85 or 95 different fields of information. Information technology is the mother of the Rosenblatt series. This computer genius, the midwife. But let's have no doubt as to who's the daddy. Someone had to chase down, collate and input information on over 44,000 people under 95 headings. And as nobody paid or asked Stuart Rosenblatt to do this work, it is aptly stamped with his name and his personality. What he generously shares in the National Archive are the public and printed version of the databases, the 16 volumes. If you have a Jewish granddad that needs tracing, here you'll find all known sources pulled together and cross-referenced. Now, what name were you looking for? Well, you found my uh, grandfather Solomon Jackson, Solomon Jackson. We know him. Now, what I've done here, this is your surnames up here, so I put in Jackson, and then underneath we have all the first names. Because Solomon or Sully or no, Solomon, Solomon Tom, Thomas. Solomon, no, that's it, Solomon. Solomon, Solomon Thomas. And yeah. uh, we look under here and we have... Individual volumes five, reflect six. places such Jackson, as Limerick or sources such as the alien files and volume 11 contains the extracted school records of 9,000 Jewish school children. And on page 23 you'll find the following information on the 12-year-old Rosenblatt. It says there um, Stuart Rosenblatt is going to the school. Um, We are... um, he is thoroughly spoiled by his uh, parents. Well, I, I may ask that. I say, well, that's what, not a difficulty. What Irish son is not spoiled by their mother? And Jewish and Irish is double jeopardy. And then uh, he could do the strong hand of a master. And he's uh, by no means stupid. And we're not sending you one of our best. That was one one. And it's all written on the one for... Uh, Wesley, on on the card for Wesley. And then it says, no academic future. Stuart left school at 15 and became an apprentice hairdresser. I have a cup of tea. Did I put a sugar in? No, I didn't. What did I? Yeah, I just stirred it. Mm. Oh, I had nine jobs before I was 21 and I was fired from the hall. I had nine jobs before I was 21. (laughs) Oh, yes, I was a good titivator. Neither your two children now would have done anything like that. It sounds like. Oh, too educated. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think I survived all these years? It wasn't from hairdressing. But before we get to how he does survive, a text comes through. Look, it's not the middle of something. Oh, Sonia, my daughter. I've come across Sonia before. 
Her father included this note from his then-teenage daughter in volume 15. Dear Mr Rosenblatt PC, After reviewing the website above, I was hoping you could help me find my long-lost daddy, who was last seen behind a computer terminal and a pile of gravestones. He was a loving man, but tended to spend more time looking up dead people and talking to strangers. I need to find out if my daddy is still on this earth, as I am looking to buy a car very shortly with his money, and hence need him to sign the appropriate papers. Sonia Rosenblatt. I wrote this note because um, it was like tongue-in-cheek, because my dad was always, you know, we were, we were supposed to be going somewhere, and my father would come home late because he was, you know, too busy behind a gravestone. It's like, okay, gravestones are more important than the family, so... And because I feel like I've lost my father in a way, because you're ne- he's never around. But Sonia's exasperation is only part of a close father-daughter relationship. I am extremely proud of my dad. I mean, considering he left school when he was 15, he didn't like school. The teachers told him he would never make anything of himself. He's worked really hard. And, uh, you know, he took something that happened to our family and he ran with it. He just found this information about his grandmother and then decided to go and do this life's work. He's been working, I don't know, 10, 15 years on this. And the sad thing is he hasn't really had that much recognition. Sonia is now an immigrant living in Canada. They don't understand when I tell, first of all, tell them I'm Irish. And then they know what my last name is. They go, how can you have a name like Rosenblatt? I said, well, I'm Jewish. And they said, well, how can you be Jewish and Irish? And I'm like, well, one's a religion and one's a nationality. It's like asking you, how can you be Italian and Catholic? I mean, most people have never heard of an Irish Jew. But Dublin is Dublin is great. But given the fact that I am Jewish, there isn't a very large Jewish community here. So if I am trying, I'm trying to find Jewish guy mm-hmm. to date and there are no Jewish guys here. So it doesn't make sense for me to come back here. So I'm in Toronto and uh, that's where I'm staying for now. But in an increasingly secular Ireland, does religion, any religion, matter in marriage anymore? It's very important to my parents, very important to my family. And it causes a lot of problems. You know, if you marry someone who's not Jewish, then extended family may not accept you and when you go to the synagogue they can't come and then it causes problems with functions and then people alienate you and you know I think marriage is hard enough without having an extra extra problems on on the side and that's what I want also. So that's Sonia. Her brother Jason lives in London and his two children make Stuart a granddad. But none of them live here, so it's looking like the end of the Rosenblatt line in Ireland. There may be no future generations in Ireland, but we can go back three generations, all resting in Dolphin's Barn Jewish Cemetery. No, we're driving down Achavena Road mm-hmm. towards the Jewish graveyard, which has opened up in around 1896. Well, this is a very large area. You can see that the, this is greenery down here far exceeds what is required for general use now. There's so few of the population left. There's only about 360 listed within the, registered within the synagogue. On the orthodox part, there's 180 possibly in the progressive 
At one stage, it was four and a half thousand people a year in the 1950s. My mother and father are not just on the other side over here. My grandparents are here, and my great-grandparents are here. So we're coming up to section A, which is the older section. Now, this, this particular tombstone is not unusual. It's that you can see two hands on the, on the top. Now, there's a lot of information on Jewish tombstones. People may not realise that, besides the English... A lot of information there may be on the tombstones, but it's not of genealogical use. The usual expressions of sorrow are considered a bit of a waste of space by Stuart. And what's the say here? Sacred in the memory of Abraham Cohen, who died April the 11th, 1904, aged 76 years, the devoted husband and loving father, erected by his sorrowful widow and daughters. Ah, nonsense. We're all sorrowing. But who's the widow? They should have had down there. Um, we died. All right, who died? All right, we know he died. Well, what's the date he died? 11th the 4th, 1904, age 70. He could have put down where he was born, born such and such an age, age, date to date. And uh, maybe his occupation could have been put in there. MB will do, do fine, mourned by. Just two letters. But there are few MB. mysteries in the graveyard uh, for Stuart, as he devoted well, six years to sorting out the so messy all. records in Dolphin's so, so, Barn. So, so, so. so I've codified all these. Gone row section and plot all the way up and down. Then at the end of the day, I took photographs of every tombstone mm -hmm. and then went through them one by one to make sure the accuracy was there. And I also dealt with the minister who translated all these Hebrew names. You need the exact dates and you need when they died and you need the proper names. This is all part of... It's all part of your heritage. Well, I'm leaving behind me will be these 17 volumes of information in a hundred years' time. Nobody will know about it. This place could be desecrated, it could be mowed over and apartment blocks on it. Who knows? One second. Hannah Devorah. Yes, this is my grandmother, actually, from, from Okmian. O-K-M-I-A-N. This is Akmian, but also known as Okmian. And so, some of them have a good woman of worth. In other words, unless you came from Akmian, you didn't come from anywhere, you know. Akmien, never more than a Jewish population of 600 or so. And from this tiny gene pool came the core of old Jewish Ireland. We move on to consider Stuart's uncle Henry, one of his mother's ten siblings. He had a nickname. Pockets Jackson. Pockets. He, right. Yes, he had pockets because as he was a stationer starting off he would have a jacket or a coat with lots of pockets on it and you carry a stock with them saying it's an attaché case or briefcase nowadays I presume and if you wanted something you just take it out and you sell it to you either got paid there and then or credit whatever it was he did very well he looked after his family very nicely have to give credit where credit is due made sure his mother didn't work once he got started getting on his feet and he was a self-made man very much they were all poverty stricken for goodness sake mm -hmm. as everybody else was all the people here that came over with nothing nothing Fleas in their back, as I would say. Poor, impoverished, not a word of English, not able to read or write. Children went to school, translated for them. And they got a bit of education, went into a trade, put bread on the table. They weren't um, gamblers in the sense of gambling and dr uh, drunkards and drinking all the money away. It was always food and education. They're the primary areas of Jewish tradition.
As you look about the Jewish cemetery in Dolphin's Barn, you don't need to be a Dubliner or Jewish to recognise many, many names, familiar from the business pages and the top echelons of the professions and civic life. The journeys that all end here were epic in every sense. They crossed a continent from east to west, a language barrier, a religious divide, and broke through several class and economic barriers in just about two generations to make a home and a contribution in Ireland. To know more about these people, we log on to Stuart's database to find their descendants. Dr. Lewis Collins, or Louis J., as he's known as, was born in January 1918 in Dublin. He was also in the Boy Scouts. Dr. Jacobson was a member of the 16th Dublin Jewish Boy Scout Group, as was Stuart. But going back a generation to Louis Jacobson's father, a boy in 1880s Lithuania, all childish things came to a speedy end with a long journey to Ireland on his own. He was 13. If they had to go for some reason or other, they went. And there was a lot of trouble, pogroms and one thing and another in those days. So they, they, they went to get a better life. Thirteen in the Jewish religion is you become a man. So he, he must have been well, well used to traveling on his own. I don't know where how he came, but I think he his, his family. His father had married, married twice and there were a lot of children. So that's, some of them were going to America. And he, he was on the same boat, but he, he was coming here because he knew his uncle was here. The boy of 13 somehow made his way from Cove to his uncle's home on Clan Brazel Street, Dublin, and got a trade. Well, he, he trained as a painter, uh, but he, he, he went into business I think it was my mother decided that she he should open a, a shop, and they opened a shop in Camden Street, small shop I think it was, doing jewellery, and that was after the twenty two, when they when they they came up the river, the gunboat, and shot at the post office, and they hit Henry Street as well, knocked down a number of shops. He decided he was going to build one of them up which he did by direct labour. That was about 1924. So he built number 40, Henry Street. Like Stuart, Dr Jacobson is an old Wesley boy. The, the, the headmaster was very clever. He'd been in America. His name was Irwin, and he was a very f- fine businessman. And he, he took the Jewish pupils in because they worked harder. Well, they had to. Their position wasn't good. Their parents hadn't very much, or if anything, and if they wanted to get on, they were, had to work to get these these uh, scholarships. They got scholarships into uh, Wesley, and then they got scholarships into Trinity. This is the path the young Louis Jacobson took, graduating in the 1940s with a medical degree. With only Catholic or Protestant hospitals to train in, where could a young Jewish doctor fit in? The established medicals didn't want 
anybody to, to get in on their act. So they decided they'd keep people out, made it difficult. And uh, it's like everything uh, here. It's cronyism, and it was difficult. Now it probably would be easy. The young Dr Jacobson trained both here and London, returning to a long career in Dublin's Eye, Ear and Throat Hospital. The next name from the database is Dr Cyril Newman, a working GP who with his wife Pat travelled to Acmeen to see the village his father Abraham left when he was 11 years old. A dangerous age for a boy in Acmeen. In those times uh, they drafted young boys into the army, sometimes as young as 12, and they were sent away uh, far away from home to serve maybe for 25 years and his uh, parents were afraid that they would lose their Jewish identity and that was the main reason. They, they also left because times were hard for them there. Uh, the May laws were introduced which restricted uh, the professions and occupations and landowning rights that Jews could have. So it wasn't easy for them. He came with his parents and his one of his sisters. I think that what had happened was that his other brothers and sister had already come to Ireland. We think that they were probably on their way to America. What my father told me was that his older brother was in Limerick for two weeks before he realised that he wasn't in the United States. There are several explanations for this confusion in the new arrivals. Here are some of the scenarios that Stuart has recorded. Yeah, many of the first wave of Jewish immigrants came to Ireland by chance. Some had insufficient money for the journey to America and were sold tickets as far as Ireland without realising the situation until forced to disembark at Cork. Some were so desperate to leave that they took the first available vessel, irrespective of destination, some regarded Ireland as the first stage in their journey, planning to move on to America where they could afford it. Some were so seasick and could not travel, and others ran out of kosher food. You have to realise that being Jewish is very important. In fact, what they brought with them, of all things, was their religion. And many of the tomes of work they carried, even my grandfather's work or relations, they have huge manuscripts they brought over with them, nothing much else. Mm. The important thing in their life was their religion. And here they have freedom of practice. Now we have all the freedom, we don't, bother, don't practice it so much, so life goes on. When Cyril Newman asked his father about Acmeen, he likened it to 1950 Swords, a one-horse town with a small community. After a recent visit, Pat Newman doesn't think it has changed that much. I could understand, perhaps, and it was only from going there, you could understand how the... Jewish uh, people who came from Lithuania and came to Ireland mm. could have felt very at home. They called the, the area around Clumbrassel Street Little Jerusalem. I mean, mm. that is, so many of them lived in and around that area. And so, yes, uh, you might well find that uh, 
the person in the house beside you or across the street was someone that you knew or was was vaguely known or might even have been related to you. I mean, they did have that clique. What a comfort that clique must have been in all the Irish newness. And what a vivid example of the global village. To flee your home in the Russian Empire and arrive on a strange island to find the new neighbours were in fact the old neighbours from Acmeen or thereabouts. When we later open up the Newman family tree on Stuart's database and go back to Cyril's grandfather Isaac, we find... Isaac's wife was um, Corina Jackson, which on the end of the day probably brings it into the Jackson family, which my mother belongs to, Jackson Zacks. The original name of Jackson is Zacks. All the Jacksons are related to each other. Unlike his newfound cousins, the Newmans, Stuart has no interest in visiting Acmeon. There's nothing left there. In actual fact, um, during the First and in the Second World War, there were not quite a number of people living there. And what the Nazis did, they herded them up and put them into the synagogue and set it alight with them inside it. Uh, and then the, a lot of others were, were murdered and, and uh, they're buried. There's a burial ground in a forest with no marker. Earlier generations survived anti-Semitism. But when they left, they had no nostalgia for the old country. Our ancestors who left Russia, they never looked back to their homeland, never once. They didn't want to speak about it. They wanted to divest themselves of all things of that uh, terrible anti-Semitic countries that they had uh, come from. They forged uh, a new language. Uh, They educated their children. And they never talked about their homeland. Irish people were different. We look towards Ireland as our, our land of our birth. We look back on it fondly. We look back on it that it gave us peace and tranquility, even during the war years. Those anti-Semitism and a lot of um, pro-Nazism here. Uh, nevertheless, um, we were, it was a safe haven. Fond memories of Ireland have brought our next visitors to Dolphin's Barn to visit a family grave. They know Stuart from his genealogy work and stop to chat. This is my niece, who was, while she was born in England, came over to see her grandparents in Dublin. It was her 50th birthday two days ago, and she and she wanted to spend it where the, the home of her grandparents. Right. And so, what did you want to find out that Stuart could help you with? Well, I I had a. a if I can say this, which I, it's true, I had a delinquent um, maternal grandfather who upsticks from Dublin and um, left his wife and six children. And as it, on the on your files, mm. it says he, they were deserted, and that was exactly what they did. He became, if you like, uh, persona non grata. He was not talked about. And of course, whenever I questioned my mother about her father. Uh, the subject was always changed and I felt it was always a taboo su- subject. So what I did instead was uh, I found out a little bit myself. The last thing I said to this man, mm-hmm. which I still... I said, the next time we're in Dublin, Lenny and I, we were going to buy you lunch. Do you remember that now? I don't remember, but I like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
regretfully, Stuart has to decline lunch and get back to his desk, his databases and his day job. Let's have a look at your check here. Thanks. All right. Do you have a the phone number of this company? This is the day job. Check cashing. Right. And a bit of property management of his building here no, on Dame Street. But genealogy is never far away. Hello? Oh, you're finally here. Right, push the door and come upstairs, please. Kate Boyle has come from Australia looking for information about her mother's family. Her name was Rebecca Abacassus, and uh, her father, Jacob, came to Ireland in the mid-1700s, having to flee Morocco. No, there's no records available from that earlier period. The National Archives, uh, the dates of birth are 1860. This is a challenging case for Stuart, as it predates the official records. But he has a source and is able to add another generation and spin out a detailed list. The, there's an entry here for Jacob Abacus, and I'll read it out to you who arrived in Ireland in 1830, was a native of Morocco. Then, an interesting altercation in the synagogue. Two daughters and two sons were born to him in Dublin on May the 25th of that year. Isaac Davidson, who was a minister of the congregation, was reprimanded by the president and committee for circumcising the son of Abraham Abacus in contravention of their explicit orders that no son to be circumcised until he had apologised for using abusive language in the synagogue. <laughs> you can gather what sorrow's uh, trouble that must have been. All right. Well, this is amazing because it's giving me the time before Jacob's birth. So we're going back even further to, to see his parentage. And it's obviously providing a more accurate detail about the home. It's 34 Grafton. I have 34A, actually. Oh, 34A? <laughs> so the other side of the street, perhaps, or, or not. And So Kate and continues on her quest. Now meet Esther Rochford Farrell. Esther hasn't come from Australia, but she's put a lot of time and effort into tracking down her Jewish great-grandmother, Esther Cohen. Stuart has some news for her. But then his phone rings. Why is her great-grandmother so important to her? I think the first reason is that because her name is Esther and my name is Esther and I really wanted to find out and I was always very interested in the Jewish part of the family. I thought it was very interesting and, and I just wanted to know was my family part of what did happen in Hitler's time and I just wanted to find out and I thought it was very interesting. The way my great-grandfather, I would assume, came from, say, uh, Dublin City. A coach builder and then he goes travelling on the road it doesn't just match up mm -hmm. so he must have really loved her very much or she showed him a different way of life We can only guess that the mixed marriage of Esther's great-grandparents prompted their move to a travelling life Mixed marriages may have been frowned on but they did happen They happened a lot So quite a few people surprisingly enough even to me how many people married out and many Irish people don't know that they have actually Jewish descendants from not so far back. Mm. 
Well, can I come back and say to you when you you were tra- you were trying to trace your family for twelve years, right. and what happened during that time? We couldn't get anywhere. We went, we tried a few different things, and couldn't come up with the marriage cert because we had stories that they lived in Sing Street, and we just that we why we wanted to get that. So after trying for so long, we could never find it, and ten minutes you had it. So, so you might be interested to know what we found from Glasgow. Wait, you can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got the birth certificate. There was two Esther Cohen's. So we eliminated the first one. Because this Esther Cohen was uh, born in Glasgow in 1874, which corresponds with the time factor of your Esther Cohen. That's great. Can I open it? Yes, please do. I've been waiting to see this for so long. See where her man's name was and her dad. And did she come from Glasgow or did she come from somewhere else to Glasgow? Well, uh, this is the birth certificate. Of um, Esther, Esther Cohen. In the end, it is Stuart's attention to detail, his accumulation over 15 years of seemingly inconsequential facts, that has led to the 16 volume Rosenblatt series. It is now recognised as the most comprehensive record of a Jewish population compiled by anyone, anywhere. But I found a niche where nobody else is interested in, and I can be my own person, and each person gets their self-worth. And it's what I leave behind. I know I have two very fine children, I'm very proud of them, and lovely grandchildren coming on now, a beautiful wife. But what you leave for mankind, the little bit to add to their prosperity and history, are the volumes, and hopefully they will last a hundred years or more. <laughs>